This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. Welcome to Coastal Sermons, a weekly podcast designed to inspire and instruct people in walking out their faith. These are recordings of our Sunday gatherings where we broadcast the weekly messages from our campus in beautiful seaside Berlin, Maryland. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or find our full video library on our YouTube channel at Coastal Community Church in Maryland. Man, is it a beautiful night or what? Uh, the, the, the date's around about 540 B.C. We know that. We can pinpoint that because Daniel actually <clears throat> gives us that date right in the text. He tells us that it's Belshazzar's third year of his reign. Belshazzar was the king of Babylon at the time where Daniel was captive. Imagine that. Imagine a time where there's no cars, no city lights, no airplanes, And it's quiet. Just, you can actually hear yourself think. This must be when angels visit. When all of the other distractions are gone. Because we can assume that Daniel is actually lying on his bed, trying to sleep or just looking at the ceiling. Why do we know that? We know that because Daniel actually wrote about that a chapter earlier in chapter 7 where he talks about a similar vision where he says those exact words that he says, I was lying on my bed when the angelic vision came. An angelic visit, an actual tangible angel right there in the room talking to you. I mean, can you imagine that? That's incredible. What, what, what is an angel? The word angel that, that we use in the English, the word angel, it just comes from a Greek word, angelos, which, which just means standard, it just means messenger. Outside the scriptures, that word actually doesn't have any kind of spiritual connotation, believe it or not. It's just a, a, a messenger. What's important is, remember this, what's important is who sent the messenger and what is the content of their message. The scriptures tell us that God has created actual spiritual beings to do that for him, to bring messages to us. Paul calls them ministering spirits in the New Testament. And the the psalmist in the Old Testament, the psalmist tells us that they are always around us, given charge to protect us. But here's the thing. They exist in a different existence than we do. They exist in a spiritual state. So Paul tells us, also in the New Testament, that we don't always perceive their presence, that they can be there, and we cannot even know that they're right there. But here's the thing the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us that we need them. Why? Because we do not always completely understand God's messages, do we? 
We can pray and we can pray and we can pray. And get this, even when we might think that we actually have gotten an answer from God, even when we might think that God has given us an answer, has, has maybe put something in our heart or in our spirit, even then we don't always understand what it is God has told us, right? Because we still have all kinds of questions. We'll ask, well, when, when, when is God going to do it? And, well, where, where is God going to do it? And, well, how, how long and, until he does it? And, and am I supposed to do something while I'm waiting for God? I mean, and even when we get God's messages, we don't always understand them. And that's exactly where Daniel was. Daniel actually says that he was trying to understand the vision. Trying to understand the vision. He didn't get it. I think we miss this sometimes. I think we miss the fact that the people we encounter in the scriptures are they're just they're us. They're human. They're not superhuman. They're not super spiritual. They are just like us, and they don't always grasp what God's doing. They don't always get it. Even when God speaks directly to them, even when God gives them a vision, they don't immediately get it. I mean, think about Zechariah in the Christmas narrative that so many people are familiar with in the Gospel of Luke. We are told that an angel visits Zechariah and says, you and your wife, Elizabeth, will have a child. And Zechariah, with an angel right in front of him, hearing the message, goes, how? I'm way too old for this. He doesn't get it. Or go back to the very center of the Christmas story with Mary. And the angel visits Mary. She is told clearly, plainly, you will be the mother of of the Messiah. And yet, the text tells us that Mary is still confused. The actual words in the text say the scripture says that Mary wondered about the meaning. She didn't know what, I hear it, I understand it, I acknowledge it, but I don't fully understand. I'm wondering. Do you know it's okay to wonder, to ponder what God's saying to you? Do you know it's okay to admit that you don't get it, that you don't understand everything that the Bible says or what you feel God's saying to you. It's okay. Zechariah did. Mary did. Daniel did. So I want to start there this morning. I want to start there this morning, and I'm going to challenge you that maybe we don't understand everything about the Christmas story we might think we do, because that's the danger. The danger of December in churches is we come in going, same story, same text, same narrative, there's a baby, there's a manger, there's shepherds, there's animals, there's kings, and we think we know it, but do we? I'm going to challenge you this morning to think again. I'm going to challenge you this morning to allow yourself to do just a little bit of wondering. Daniel writes that one who appeared to be a man stood before him. Sounds weird, right? Who says that? Who speaks that way? One who appeared to be a man. Like, why didn't Daniel just say that a man appeared before me? Well, the answer is kind of found in this. The answer is found in the challenge of translating Hebrew and Aramaic into English. You see, the word that Daniel uses here, the the word that Daniel writes is the word geber which means one of incredible strength. He's talking, he he says that the one that's before me is a massive being, uh, someone incredibly strong, 
When I think of a massive man, I think of someone like Andre the Giant or Arnold Schwarzenegger or or The Rock. That's what Daniel's talking about. He's saying, this is a different kind of person. This is a different kind of being. It's someone who's strong, someone who's mighty. Now, here's the deal. The person that Daniel is writing about here, the person who appears to him first is not Gabriel. And the reason we know this is simply this. This massive man, he's the one who commands Gabriel. He says this. He says, Gabriel, allow Daniel to understand this vision. So so clearly, this individual is a person of authority. It's not just another angel. It's someone who has the ability to command Gabriel. And scholars alike would agree that this individual was most likely Jesus. Uh, Jesus in his divine form before he came as a human, before he came as a baby. Now, this experience left Daniel completely unnerved. Uh, Think about it for a second. He encounters Almighty God. And Daniel writes these words. Daniel says this. He, 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 he says that this situation rattled him. And, and for good reason. I understand our humanity, we were not made, we were not wired to encounter the divine. So David writes these, Daniel writes these words. He says that he was terrified. He said that he fell flat on his face. And this is a common response that we see all throughout scriptures when, when humans encounter God. Uh, this is the exact experience that, that John writes when he experienced the risen Christ. It's this same kind of wording, the same kind of phraseology that Ezekiel writes when he experienced the divine. This is a big deal. So much so that that Daniel says he fell into a sleep, and and not the kind of sleep that you and I typically experience each night. No, no, it was more than that, much more than that. Daniel says this. He says that his strength left him completely, uh, meaning that essentially he had passed out, that he was so incredibly uh, weak. Uh, Matter of fact, Daniel will write this. He'll say, this encounter so impacted him that even after it was over for several days, he was physically exhausted and ill. So what's the point? Here's the thing. For, For many of us, when we have imageries of Christmas, when we think of Christmas, we think of the small, innocent, helpless baby. We, we tend to approach the, the, the manger, uh, the, the story of Jesus, only as a symbol of gentleness and quietness. But that's not the experience that Daniel had when he encountered the Christ. Uh, when he encountered the Christ, the, the magnitude of it was so real, he said, that it, that it knocked him on his face, that it zapped him of complete strength, that it left him exhausted for days. Now, listen, don't get the wrong idea. God does not want us to fear him or, or be terrorized of him. No, what Daniel's writing here, he's writing a, a natural result. It's a natural result of when we experience a force greater than our humanity. When, when we experience something so big, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we live here on the eastern shore, and you, you've experienced a thunder and lightning storm that'll wake you up in the middle of the night, and your, your heart will be pounding. 
Maybe you've experienced a, a hurricane here, a northeastern, where, where the wind starts blowing and the trees in the back of your yard start swaying so much that you have a hard time sleeping. Or I remember one time some years ago, I, we experienced an earthquake here. And I remember the, 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 the trembling of the ground and I ran out of my, my office and I went, is that an earthquake? It's in those moments when you experience a force bigger than yourself that you recognize how very little you're actually in control. And what's your response? It's like, like all of a sudden you turn weak. You go, this is too big. Now imagine, imagine encountering Almighty God. And that's what happens to Daniel. And Daniel's response, uh, his, his, his response, his fear factor, if you would, just goes off the charts a bazillion times with what we felt. So yes, Jesus came as a baby in a manger, but that's not how we're supposed to think of him. No, when Jesus came, he came as the God of power. He came with strength and authority. He was the one who engineered the very salvation that we are to experience. So go back with me for a moment to the angel Gabriel. You know, even before Gabriel spoke one word, his very presence spoke about the strength of God. A matter of fact, even his name, his name comes from two words, Gabriel, Gabriel and El, meaning the one of God's strength, God's strength, the one who is strong. So here's the question for us. Uh, what should our response be to all of this? When we think about Christmas, do we approach the manger fawning over an infant child, or do we approach a throne of a majestic king? See, Christmas is not a story of a child who won over the world through innocence. No, not at all. Christmas is the story of a God of strength, a God who came in strength to save us and to rescue us. The Christmas story does not start with the infant in the manger and the meek and the mild and the silent night in the midnight clear. It starts 600 years before that, where Daniel perceives that God says he's going to deliver his people and he wonders how. And Jesus himself shows up to him and Daniel says the strength of that of him was so much that I lost all of mine the strong God the lion of Judah and right there in the room with Daniel and that vision is the angel that shows up Gabriel El the God of strength Gabriel's own name declared God's majesty that night but there's something else about gabriel's name that i want you to clue into this morning this is actually in daniel 8 the very first time ever in any of the scriptures this is the first time we ever 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 even understand that angels even have names later isaiah will write if you're looking at the King James translation, Isaiah is the one who will write that Satan actually has a name, apparently Lucifer. I say has, had. That prior to his fall, he was called Lucifer, the, the, the bearer of light. 
And then later, Daniel will write in the book about another angel named Michael who will come to help Gabriel fight the spiritual warfare as Daniel sees these incredible apocalyptic visions. But in our story, in Daniel 8, there's no mistaking it. Daniel writes that he clearly, clearly, clearly heard Jesus address this angel with the name Gabriel. Why does that matter? Why is it? Why, why put so much emphasis on Gabriel's name? Because 600 years later, Luke is going to write in his gospel the text that we all know about the Christmas story, and he's going to talk about an angel who's going to visit Zechariah, and that angel's name is Gabriel. Oh, more than that, Let's go to the center of our Christmas narrative. Let's go to Mary. Gabriel is the same angel that visits her. Apparently, when God has an incredibly important message to give, Gabriel is his man. Angel, you get it. But remember what I said at the very, very beginning. I said the key thing to an angel, a messenger, is who sent the messenger, and what's the message? Well, we have now understood who sent this messenger, the strong God. But what about the content of Gabriel's message? He tells Daniel, Daniel, everything that you're seeing in these visions that you're having while you're lying on your bed, he says everything is for an appointed time. Focus on that, an appointed time. In fact, Gabriel actually says this several times to Daniel. At one point, he even tells him, Daniel, that all this stuff that you're seeing, that Jesus is allowing you to see, uh, you're seeing this now, but he tells Daniel, he says, it's actually not for you to fully understand, Daniel, because it's actually for a later date. So he tells Daniel, I want you to write down what you're seeing. And then he says to Daniel, I want you to seal it in scrolls. Why is that important? Seal it in scrolls. Because later, John is going to record in Revelation that he sees Jesus unsealing scrolls. And they are the exact same scrolls that Daniel would have written and wrote all those years before. In other words, God had actually sent himself a certified letter proving that he was always in control. He always knew how things were going to pan out. An appointed time, a fixed date. Why is that important? Because it means that when Gabriel visits Zechariah and Mary 600 years later, He will already have known what was happening because he had already shown it to Daniel. Everything was planning out. Everything was happening exactly as God planned. Get this. Christmas is not some spur of the moment, sentimental move from God to send us his son as a gift. Christmas is not just some uh, emotional move of God to, to let us know that he's thinking about us. No, 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 no. Christmas is the beginning, the initiation of a strategic plan by God to rescue you and me and the rest of humanity. He knew what he was doing then. He knows what he's doing now. Do you hear that? Do you hear the message of the angel Gabriel telling Daniel, there is an appointed time. 
God knows what he's doing. Now, I know the response because I myself have gone to God with it in prayer myself. But, yeah, but what about this? And what about and, and all this other stuff that's happening? And what about in my own life? And is, and, and is God as concerned about my own life as, as he is? And, and what about and what about? what? About? Consider his words to the prophet Habakkuk. Sometimes we think that the prophets and the scriptures are all given these individual separated messages. They're not. They're all being told the same thing. They just reiterate it in different ways. God tells the prophet Habakkuk to tell the people, listen, I know the vision tarries. I know you have to wait. I know there can be the sense that you're having to wait for this to come to pass. But make no mistake, God tells the prophet, my plans will achieve their purposes at the exact appointed time. Though it seems long, it's not. It will be fulfilled. So the question for us this morning is not, what is God doing? Because he's shown us. The question is, what are we doing in response to that? You know, there's essentially two types of people at Christmas. There's planners, and then there's panickers. And by virtue of the laughter, you all fall in that latter category like I do. You see, here's the funny thing. December 25th, it falls on the same date every single year. Christmas does not change the date. We know it's December. January 1st, 2023. You know exactly when. It's not like Thanksgiving where you go, it's the fourth Thursday. I don't know what the date is. No, it's December 25th. There's two types of people. There are those that on January 1st go, it's December 25th. I will start planning for that. And they have all their shopping done by July. And we hate those people. Instead, the rest of us live in this world where we come to the final week of Christmas and we act as if we had no clue it was coming. We're like, what? Christmas is this week? And then we're running around buying all kinds of junk that people don't even want or need, but it's the only thing we can get our hands on. Panickers. But here's the question. What kind of person are you when it comes to the knowledge that God has an appointed time for his return? Are you a planner? Is your life in order? Is your house in order? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing, knowing that there's an appointed time? That appointed time could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. God may not have given us the exact date, but we know it's fixed. Or are you going to be the panicker who just kind of squanders life thinking, well, maybe at the right, maybe at the last moment I'll have a chance to just kind of get things. You won't. Please understand this. Christmas is not about the nostalgia of Christ's first coming. Christmas is the wake-up call that there is still a second one yet to come. So the challenge I give you this morning is this. Rather than worrying about whether or not you've got all the preparations ready for the 25th of this month, the bigger question is this. Have you made the preparation for our Lord's return? And it's going to be soon. This morning, if you're comfortable in doing this, would you take your hands and just place them over your heart? I want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me. And the prayer is simple. God, if you're speaking to me, help me hear you. God, if you're speaking to me, help me hear you. This morning we begin the first of five presentations about hearing God's voice. It's not just about Daniel. It's not just about others that we'll look at over the next couple of times together most important here is you that you would hear the voice of God 
We believe this with everything in us, that God is a personal God and he wants to speak to you, that he cares for you. And this season, we want nothing less than God's very, very best for your life. We want you to experience why he came as a baby and why he died upon a cross. We're inviting you to take a step with us. Quite frankly, we don't believe we're inviting you. We believe that God is inviting you to take a step towards him. So today's the first step. Heavenly Father, this morning we stand before you. We recognize our humanity. We recognize, God, that we are so far from you. We're so far from what we're supposed to be by your design. But we believe this. We believe that you sent your son, Jesus, because you wanted to be close to us. God, our prayer is this, is that we would stop hindering your approach, that we would stop keeping you away, that we would open our hearts, that we would open our minds, that we would open our ears to hear your voice, and that we would take steps towards you. That's our prayer. I pray, Lord God, for those this morning who are taking that first step. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to speak, that you